Welcome back to another episode. This is Chris. Did you know some frogs get noisier just before it rains? So, Brad, how noisy are you before this podcast? That's right. You're not making a noise because your word of the day is... It's absence. Not to be confused with abstinence, the state of being away from a place or a person. Chris? Brad appears to be absent. This is James. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. This is our weekly Whiskey and Widget podcast, where your whiskey's on the rocks, where your whiskey rocks uh, with freeze-dried fruit, <laughs> and you keep it fresh. Nice. Freeze-dried fruit. Yeah. I don't think I've had any for a long time. I used to... I used to eat like dried mangoes. Is that the same? Like, uh, have you no, had one not, of those before? Not quite. So, dried mangoes, that's going to be dehydrated or dried. Um, ah, this is freeze dried. dried. So, it's cold, frozen. Does it, and it's probably what? Does it act as your uh, ice for your drink? So, freeze drying your fruit works a little bit differently from dehydrating, but it's basically sucking all the moisture out of it. It doesn't make it cold, but it is like a preservative. So since there's no water content in it anymore, you can actually have like, for example, freeze-dried ice cream. Ah, uh, okay. And it's just sits there shelf stable. Um, so it's really neat because tonight I'm gonna be using some fruit that's freeze-dried that's gonna pair well with it. I'll be using that as a garnish because it's just a massive flavor boost of that particular fruit. Nice. But before nice. we so dig we... into that, Chris, yeah. I think every week we have a mail call. <laughs> you, have a, you got a mail call this week? Brad would be loath to accept us uh, for getting this. <laughs> yeah, so you know, he's always uh, always reminds us, so I appreciate you stepping in and uh, filling his shoes. Uh, and so I'll talk about mail call here uh, uh, briefly, but, you know, we're always trying to post stuff on a weekly basis, almost on a daily basis. I think at some point we were doing a pretty good job of just posting a drink. But at the same time, I, we didn't want to come out as like people who drinks every day, every day. Um, but if you're curious of what we're drinking uh, on this episode, we do post our drinks on uh, Whiskey in Widgets uh, Instagram. And, you know, you can also interact via uh, our Instagram. We also have Twitter. You know, Twitter is handled by Brad, so go ahead and uh, uh, mess with us, Whiskey Widgets. Uh, and then the third part of that is you can email us at any time, uh, day or night, in any of the any day of the week, whiskeyandwidgets at gmail dot com. So, uh, yes, I do have uh, a mail call. Uh, typically, it's around this week. Uh, is how are we handling uh, heat and how do we stay cool um, uh, working from home? So uh, people understood that we, you know, I think you live in an older home. Uh, I also live in an older home, you know, based on a previous uh, podcast is that how we're handling it. So I can answer that from my perspective. My house does not have a central uh, unit. So I have kind of a portable AC system that is just sits in the floor and blows uh, cool air. And then I have a tube that comes out to the your window system, that blows hot air. So your system blows. I got it. Yep. Yep. It's, it's, uh, you know, I always joke around that my office used to be um, uh, a sunroom uh, where the previous owner had put all the plants here and they get the most su sunlight because you know, it, it faces the sun majority of the day. So, um, but yeah, um, that's how I stay cool, man. Right now it's, it's fairly hot where I'm at. It's about 96 degrees. I'm sure others that are dealing with it, you know, elsewhere may laugh at me. They think that may be cooler unless you like Arizona or something like that. Um, uh, you may get like 110 degrees. Like that's normal it's, uh, for you guys. It feels super hot in Wisconsin <clears throat> anytime 
we go over like 80 degrees 80 degrees and i'm just like <laughs> why <laughs> well, uh, is it humid though it's the humidity makes it feel hotter though right it is it is definitely humid right so we we definitely get humidity here but yeah. that's you know that's kind of to be expected considering we're we're on the great lakes right like i'm right like right next to lake michigan ah, so that's, that makes sense that's kind of a, a normal thing in that regard yeah, that makes sense. You get a little bit of humidity. We get a little bit of humidity here as well. Um, you, you know, so it's a different kind of heat. Even though it's 96 degrees, um, it does feel hotter. And um, it's unlike dry heat. Um, some people who moved up here, though, that are not natively from the Pacific Northwest, they always say, like, oh, we have dry heat. And it's like, no, we don't. Uh, and on certain days, we do. But most of the time it's it's a, a bit humid because we are close to the water and there's lakes all over around us not as big of a lake where you're at james so you um generally speaking you'd consider it dry heat even though you're really close to seattle where it's supposed to rain all the time and you've got an ocean like right over there like you it's still dry heat it's well, not high humidity it's all the dry time heat. No, people think it's dry heat, and and I think maybe our people are confusing uh, the two. Uh, it's it's certainly more humid out here when it gets pretty warm, uh, especially when you're camping. Uh, you know, of course, I went camping last time. Uh, it was it was humid uh, because you know we end up uh, camping towards near the ocean, but then it's also cold late at night too. So because you're right next to the ocean, um, but yeah, it's been. It's been nice and warm and hot. Uh, and I can't imagine, though, like if you ride a motorcycle. Oh, that's another thing I need to share, too. Yeah. Um, so, James, I know you ride. And uh, last week, um, I went out for a motorcycle ri ride and went to a town in Issaquah. And Issa Issaquah, Washington is about an hour of a 45 minutes to an hour of a ride. And I went to town, and I was when I left heading home, I got stuck in traffic, and it was hot. I mean, yeah. sweating underneath, I, you know, your sitting, jeans. Sitting in traffic in the heat can be rough. Yes, it is. It is hot, and and of course, you you know, for safety, you got to wear a jacket. But even if you weren't wearing jacket. Um, a safety jacket, a motorcycle jacket. It's it's still it was still pretty hot. But imagine if you're like bundled up, right, and you're sitting in traffic for 90 minutes on a motorcycle. It is not fun. I'll tell you that. So, um, but yeah, man, if, if you gotten riding this this season, I have gotten to ride very little this season. Ah, oh, man, that looks so... good, dude. It's a little bit unfortunate, but generally speaking, this year, I've, I've gotten to go on a lot of walks. That's been good and do a lot of different things in that regard, but I, I haven't committed myself to fully prepping the bike for the, for the riding season, and uh, I won't go riding without the safety gear. Yeah. Didn't you didn't you used to go on a an annual basis? Didn't you used to ride somewhere, uh, you and your wife? Yeah, so we do um, a few different trips together on a regular basis. Um, we like to do a motorcycle trip um, at least once a year, and then we also do, in addition to our motorcycle trip, an anniversary trip every year. And this year, dude, that ice is massive. Sorry, dude. <laughs> Yeah, that's bigger than your glass. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> I, this is what happens when you put the ice in after you make your drink because you weren't paying attention and forgot to ice your drink. <laughs> oh man, that oh, ice man. is ridiculous, man. Yeah. Uh, so I've been putting a lot of effort into making, doing different things, experimentation with my cocktails, and I started doing. Um, I started doing clear ice. Yeah, which is actually not that bad to do. We we explored this on the podcast uh, several episodes back, where we talked yeah. about 
the directional freezing approach. Well, it turns out you can actually get some molds on Amazon that are directional freezing molds. So they allow you to create cubes that are already uh, where it like puts it, it directionally freezes from the top down and it pushes all of the impurities into the bottom of the mold. So it's no longer actually in the cube mold. So it's it's oh, kind of a neat process. Yeah, because then that keep that makes uh, your ice clear. Yeah, which I guess we could consider that a small widget. Not really the one that I thought we might talk about today, but uh, something worth noting. If anybody's interested, you can go Bonus. on Amazon. <laughs> Bonus objective: We talked about a clear ice in the past. Is there are molds on Amazon, and you can spend a ridiculous amount of money on a piece of plastic that lets you make clear ice easily. Or like my wife says, you could also just have regular ice. So up to you on what you want to do, spend <laughs> your money on. It's the presentation, man. But the presentation, presentation is fun. That is the presentation. So yeah, man, it's been a while since we talked about motorcycle riding. You know, that's something we talked about in the past. And So where all have you gone this year? Um, so I, I typically ride around locally. Um, you know, if if there's a day where I can... Uh, work where I don't have to be, I guess, if you'd say, at my desk. Um, uh, I would take that opportunity. Uh, but no, I haven't ridden anywhere too far, but usually just local, smaller towns in the, around the area and just kind of enjoying uh, the ride. But sometimes, man, it gets too hot. Sometimes it's a little too hot to enjoy, especially if you have to deal with traffic. It's like you don't want to do that. Um yeah. Yeah, man, you should go out for a ride again, dude. I remember you guys used to do that, so that's um, gotta enjoy that weather while you can. What uh, what what's the riding looking like for you at this point? Like, where do you where do you like to ride? You just uh, do stuff like local around your house, or where do you? Yeah, go? local. Last year, uh, not last year. Yeah, last, no, two years ago, I I went on a, a thousand mile trip uh, on a motorcycle, but. Oh, that looks good, man. Oh, you, wait, did you just stamp that? Yeah. That I is stamped, cool, yes. dude. So, what's the what's the image? Um, it is. And uh, for anybody curious, uh, coming back to our mail call, if you're interested in following us on any other social media, you can find us on our Instagram, uh, which is Chris. Uh, whiskey and widgets <laughs> whiskey and widgets uh you can find us there um and you'll see a photo of what we're talking about here I'll, i take to take photos of the cocktails as i make them yeah, looks um, good. every week but yeah uh this is a icon from uh it's the logo from remy martin oh i see i see yeah, that's I see it now because it was like a different direction. I couldn't figure it out, but um, that's Which, nice, dude. Uh, yeah. So there's um, this week. I see. Doing, I see a frozen a frozen fruit there. Yeah. Th this week I'm doing a whiskey sour with ridiculous glass proportions because I don't know how to plan ahead. <laughs> um, so you know, plan ahead, everybody. Um, whenever you're making a drink, and. Um, what I did that's a little bit different in the whiskey sour this week is I used, um, I used egg white like I normally do. I used a two to one ratio rich syrup, uh, for my sweetener and I lowered the, um, overall volume of the syrup as a result of that. Um, so I had a little bit more room, had the egg white and, I replaced that uh, remaining volume with uh, raspberry liqueur, and then I'm garnishing it with uh, some some raspberries. Yeah, that looks good. You know you can grow your own raspberries easily. Yeah. Yep. My wife is all about that stuff, sort of stuff. Oh, do you I, guys have growing in, in your so house? So currently, um, there's raspberries at my in-laws' house. She's we've got um, raspberries going there and blueberries here and currants and uh blueberries currants a few different apples some grape yeah apples 
Yeah. Dude, that's that's uh, I I thought those uh, things takes forever just to, you know, just have a good first batch and then um, grapes too, man. That's fascinating. How long? I think that takes a while too, just to grow some well, grapes. The apples, it definitely takes a while, right? So we've got three apple trees that were just planted, and I think this year we're gonna have two apples. So yeah, not like it's <laughs> a massive harvest, but uh, we're gonna have two apples. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the, my parents, uh, growing up always had apple trees and they had massive harvests of apples. So yeah. that was the thing. No, that's good. We get, we get about black, I get blackberries, um, out here and, uh, blackberries and raspberries. Yeah. Blueberries. I'm sorry. Blueberries, blackberries and raspberries is what I have in my property. Um, which is nice. It's like, you know, pick, but at the same time, it attracts like animals, like it attracts black bear um, out here. Uh, typically, that comes around the neighborhood. Criticism of my own drink. It's too much ice. Uh, makes it hard, it makes it hard good, to drink, man. but it tastes great. Uh, the Angostura bitters on the top of the ice was actually quite nice. If, if I had half an inch less ice, it's been great. And, and, and the, that... That glass looks massive too. It's like, is that your? Is that like a, a mug or, or not a mug? But yeah, this is just a standard rocks glass. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it looks it looks massive from this angle. <laughs> That's just because I have tiny hands. <laughs> kidding, kidding. It's all angling. It's, um. So, but yeah. Uh, so friends, I just want to take a moment to say thank you to everyone who's been joining us on our podcast. Uh, Chris and I have been doing this uh, since. 2020 now um, yeah we started doing this little journey just to be able to explore things and and discuss how we do things in life and kind of just have a journey and be open with that journey with other people on the internet right yep. so thank you to anybody that's been joining us along the whole ride or even those of you who are just joined now um it's 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 sometimes uh it's like bob ross There's no <laughs> accidents in life just 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 happy little uh Oh, happy little accidents. Happy little accidents. Yeah. No, that's that's good, man. You know, we we you know, just to go back to what you're saying, we do appreciate all the people that that's followed us throughout the years. Um, you know, even changing the structure of of the podcast, and uh, certainly uh, happy accidents where we had Brad to be our third. Unfortunately, he's not here. I know you guys like to to listen to his accent and and. Or some of us make fun of his accident, 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 accidents. And well, sometimes uh, yeah, his accent is an accident. And <laughs> and correcting my own quote from Bob Ross, it's no mistakes. There's just only happy little accidents. And I'll, I'll just, I'm going to extend this out a bit. A call out to all of our European friends. Uh, I, I see you. you. You hear Chris and I whining about our heat wave. And over in Germany and France, you've got temperatures in like the 40 degrees Celsius range. Uh, so like 104 degrees Fahrenheit or 105 degrees Fahrenheit, somewhere in there. If you're uh, uh, somebody that's used to empirical units or if you uh, live in the, live somewhere in the United States where you instead like to call it freedom units. Let's go for that, too, I suppose. Oh, but, I've never heard of that before. <laughs> oh, you've never heard that? That's uh-uh. a... That's a, uh, it's, it's a, I'm kind of conflicted about that reference because it's simultaneously funny, um, patriotic, and maybe a little militant, and at the same time, like, bad in some ways, but good in others. Hard to say. Like, I just don't know how I want to feel about it yet. Um, but it's fun because, like, it, who uses the empirical system in the whole world? Who uses it? Like I, I know, not a lot of people. It, it is a little confusing because you know, um, freezing point is thirty-two degrees, right? But like, um, you know, Celsius is zero, isn't it? Zero, it's zero. <laughs> so, so it's a little yeah. confusing, and it makes sense. Like zero, that's freezing point, right? Um, not thirty-two degrees. It's like uh, who? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean. It makes it makes a ton of sense when you consider the fact that in Fahrenheit boiling water is 212 degrees. It makes sense. Yeah. 
Easy to remember. Yeah. 212. What could be possibly easier than 212? Oh, I don't know. Maybe 100 degrees Celsius. That might be easier yeah, to remember. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, like that's a fair consideration, I suppose. Um, I, I, maybe maybe they'll change it one day. I don't know, man. It's It's been embedded. Of all the, <laughs> of, of all the things to go after, though, Chris, like what's more important, do you think? Using Fahrenheit versus Celsius or just straight metric system for like measurements and weights, right? Like yeah, your yes. your weights and measures, it makes sense. Like here you've got a thing. It's a meter, it's a centimeter, it's a millimeter, right? Like it makes sense. It's all easy increments. What, what do we have yeah. instead? Oh, that's a foot. Well, whose foot? <laughs> no, that's not what that means. It's not like a person's foot. It's like a specific yeah. size of a foot reference of like, an average foot size of a specific ethnic group from a hundred years ago. And so like, Oh, yeah. is that like, t like, like an American, like an average American person's foot size? No, that's not. Was it an Englishman's foot yeah. size? I don't think we know that that's the case either. Like, why is it called a foot? <laughs> it, it is fascinating. Cause like, it's just even from a motorcycle standpoint, like if you, as a rider uh, or someone who drives max is 60 miles per hour. But everywhere else in the world is a hundred, a hundred. So mm -hmm. it's just like it makes more sense. Like don't don't go beyond a hundred. Uh, no, this one, yeah, don't go beyond sixty. Um, no, it, it, it's fascinating. So for those I, who are listening from outside, <laughs> no, yeah, outside of the U.S., man, you guys got it right, and we and and we do feel bad that you guys are dealing with some heat waves right now. So um, for our for yeah, our U.S. Man. listeners, if you didn't know. You should pull your head out from under the rock that it's been under. There's some massive heat waves. It's in the news. Um, yeah. And generally speaking, kind of a scary thing from a climate change perspective overall. Um, before I shift overall and shift into that direction hard, there's a story I want to tell you, Chris. Yeah. When I was a kid and I was trying to understand distances, I was told you measure a football field in yards. And I was trying to understand how big a yard was. And it turned out that a friend of mine, their house was built really close to the street. To be entirely coincidental, guys, like this is not like an actual like measurement thing that's intentional in any neighborhood I'm aware of. But it happened to be that a yard was actually the measurement of how wide the strip of land was between their sidewalk and the road. Yeah. And they didn't have any grass between the sidewalk and their house. So they said, a yard is the size of my yard. And they pointed to their yard. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So then for a long time after that, when we're talking about like yards, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, my, uh, my yard is five times their yard. And so every time I thought of like that measurement in terms of yards, I was legitimately just picturing this strip of land. Yeah. And I was like, well, of course it's called a yard because yards are that size. And if you have something bigger, that means you just have like more yards, like you yeah. bought extra or something. That is fascinating, man. I, I never thought about it that way, you know? For for us who watches football, and that's what's a yard, right? That's what's used um, to calculate that. Unless you're buying like fabric, right? They use yards right. when you're measuring fabric. Um, but, but then I mean, it's fascinating. Think about it, like your kids, Chris. You got some kids. Like, when do they measure anything in terms of yards? If they're not making their own clothes and they don't play football, when do they use yard? Yeah, I don't know. When do you use yard? Like, I can't even remember the last time I ever used the yard, a right? yardstick. I mean, <laughs> they sell, but they sell yardsticks, but but we don't even use that. It's still measured in feet, um, right? Well, at least what they teach you here. Or or I suppose miles, right? If it's if it's large. Yeah, yeah, and you go from from feet to miles like right away. And how many how many feet in a in a mile, right? It's like what fifty two. Hundred or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> oh I don't gosh, remember Chris. now. I gotta, I gotta look. One mile to. It's five thousand two hundred eighty, Chris. Okay, I'm fifty. I was pretty close. Uh, I missed the 5, eighty. Fifty-two hundred. 
<laughs> I mean, it's okay. You round. This is the same as like in the networking side of things where people say like a gig is however oh, many true. megs and they're like, it's yeah. a thousand. Well, it's actually 1024. And then like, you have to start talking about like the difference, like terabytes versus tibibytes is a fun conversation. It's the moment somebody learns what a tibibyte is, it kind of blows people's mind. Yeah. Like when do you round up? Like, right. It's like, if you keep saying like, um, you know, two terabytes, five terabytes, um, you know, do you still say, you know, uh, you know, let's do some smaller, like uh, a one terabyte is what? A thousand megabytes, right? Well, no, it's oh, 1024. Ten, ten, <laughs> so, it's 1024, but like so, for people. Right. So here's a fun reference, know. a terabyte versus a tibibyte, which is a big part of why people get confused, why you, like you'll buy a hard drive and it'll say it's eight terabytes, but it's like, going to actually have like something around 10 or 11 percent smaller actual capacity than what it's rated for right well that's mm -hmm. because it's actually measured in tibibytes so or a tebibyte t-e-b-i-b-y-t-e tebibyte mm -hmm. uh, as a physical measurement and when you translate that it is a little bit off it's uh, like a point I don't have the actual metric memorized, but it's 0.91 or 912 or somewhere, something like that of a terabyte. And yeah. the problem is general consumers don't know what a terabyte is, so they just call it a terabyte. It's just uh, they just use the other label. Got it. So that's fun. That 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 it's 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 like uh trying to simplify and that's no difference with like uh speed too right like uh mm -hmm. speed is another confusion between megabytes per second versus megabits per second yeah right? well and 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 a lot of those measurements can become they can start to feel confusing because it's a base two number system so that's hard for some people then so because it's measured if anybody doesn't know what base two is we we count in base 10 so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. If you start at zero, that's ten digits, right? And then you go up to the next tens place, and everything's increments of ten. So why metric makes sense, by the way, because we count in tens. So like, why mm -hmm. are we measuring in tens? Anyways, base two basically just goes zero, one, and then the next digit when you go to the next digit space. You have the first digit space is zero one, then you have two and three represented as a zero and a one, and it continues that way. And this is where this is how binary works. So, yeah. looking at storage, tebabytes is a measurement of storage, not a measurement of data transfer. It's not a right like, and so yeah. this is where marketing starts to just kind of blur those lines, and then eventually nobody cares anymore because you can create like a common language of understanding that's close enough. Yeah, cl close enough. Yeah. No, that's, so that's, that's uh, common. That's going to be my my tagline for the rest of the week, Chris. Close, close enough. enough. <laughs> close enough. <laughs> close enough, man. Just get 95%. It's close enough. Um, no, that's a good point. And it, and it goes back to measuring. Uh, you know, we talked about cooking before, too, like measuring, like, you, you, mm -hmm. you don't always get like exactly a cup, like unless you're like lining up, right? Um, yeah. You know, you just kind of like uh, close enough over under whatever close enough. Yeah. Well, and like I'm making cocktails and I'm measuring them with my jigger and I'm like, yeah, this is this is whatever ounces. Pro tip. Jiggers in France. They're using milliliters or centiliters, not ounces. Makes sense. That said, though, uh, how how accurate do you try to be when you're cooking? You're making like a rub for like a you're going to make a brisket or something, Chris. All right. You're going to smoke a brisket and you're going to make the rub for it. Do you measure out the proportions for like the ratios, the spice you're going to make? Or do you just kind of just throw stuff on it and go, yeah, it looks good. The latter. Yeah, no, it, it's I don't measure anything. I just kind of go by um, eyesight. Um you know, it's it just, uh, uh, let's say, for oh, for example, yesterday I cooked um, uh, pulled pork. Uh, mm -hmm. It was, the family wanted it, and it's like, hey, I, I had pork shoulder. 
and I just covered it with with rub enough to cover that I don't see the um, you know I don't see the meat <laughs> and then just kind of like cover so I don't measure um, and that's also true when I'm cooking I don't measure by time because sometimes when you look at a recipe they tell you like oh you know do it for two and a half hours or do it for six hours like but there's so many fluctuations when you're cooking especially the heat wave I'm having it tends to get hotter quicker because it's hotter outside versus for us to do this in winter so I just go by internal temperature at this point um you know I have that goal of hitting that internal temperature if it reach, reaches it you know give or take a few degrees off um and that's enough like that's close enough uh, that you're not going to tell a big difference um when you're cooking but I don't measure my food man like I, I, just I don't go either by. if I'm cooking something I know well yeah, but if it's yeah, something I don't know, I'm I'm following a recipe, and it's weird how much like a switch goes off for me, where it's like I don't really know how to make this thing, and now all of a sudden I'm like perfectly level it out, gotta make yeah. sure I've got the exact <laughs> measurements, <laughs> and then it's a thing that I've made a thousand times, and I'm just like yeah, yeah, I don't even need yeah. to use a measuring container, I'm just gonna. Yeah. Do you think do you think that's like muscle memory at that point, or do you think it's like uh, it's flavor? Like you can't I tell think, the difference if you had like a, a little extra. Well, I think it's comfort with the ingredients and the flavor is a big part of it. Because like I have, so in the last week, I've made a beef taco situation uh, three different ways. And I smoked um, a beef chuck twice with two different seasoning sets and mm -hmm. a I did a ground beef once. And I smoked it a little bit different. I used different smoke. I used a slightly different set of ingredients on the spices where um, in one side I did more of like an ancho chili. And the other side I went with a, a chili arbol and I was aiming for a little bit spicier on the latter. Um you know, different amounts of other ingredients to go with it, right? Like on the ancho chili side, I used a, a fair amount of cumin, mm -hmm. which isn't something I normally put a ton of on when I'm doing a pork or a beef shoulder. So, you know, it's different stuff because I'm, I'm aiming for different flavors. And it's, I think it's where the recipe moves from, I am building this thing to like more of an artistic expression of something I'm exploring in food. Yeah. That's kind of the difference. And then it's weird because for me, that'll then wrap back around where I do that expression enough on the experimentation side, where now all of a sudden I'm like, I want to be able to recreate this in a specific yeah. way. And then I want to be able to tweak it in like you eat it and you're like, oh man, next this time has do this. Yeah. too much or not enough garlic. I need to make sure I can change that next time. So I'm going to make like a note. And all of a sudden, like you've gone from like, I'm just throwing stuff on the meat to I'm measuring it again. So yeah. I don't know, like it's, it's a cycle for me. So do you do that then right now? Like, do you, you know, uh, because you've made it a thousand times and you experiment, do you actually take notes? Like, do you have a piece of paper or something mm -hmm. that you so track? We my wife and I have like a little like recipe book that we write in where we will create and tweak recipes. And so like, we'll have something we'll be like, Oh yeah, it's good. I'm going to write the recipe in there. Then we'll make it mm -hmm. again. We'll go, actually, we're going to change this ingredient in this way. And we, we have like a little notebook that we use for that. Ah. Um, I've, I make pudding for my wife every once in a while. And for the last, like, I don't know, seven years, I've been tweaking my own pudding recipe and adjusting the pudding recipe to what we want in a pudding. So yeah. if I'm making a chocolate pudding, um, my wife really likes it when there's uh, like a nice pudding skin at the top. But if it's too thick of a pudding skin, now it's not really pudding anymore. You just got a thick chewy layer above some fudge. So like, <laughs> but you want it. So you want to make sure it's like really soft and almost fluid, but can still develop the skin. The texture there becomes very important. How much jiggle does it have? how strong is the chocolate flavor so we want to use a dark chocolate we don't want to use a semi-rich because that's too sweet 
And if you use a semi-rich, you don't get enough sugar content when you're making it to have the correct consistency overall. So I'd rather use mm -hmm. a darker chocolate and add a little bit more sugar into it than ra rather than using a semi-rich chocolate or semi-sweet chocolate that has more sugar in it. So that's like an example of where like we've experimented on this for a, like a ton. And my recipe yeah. has um, – it's it's sized for the containers I have. So like it doesn't necessarily translate to everybody because it's sized to the ramekins I put it in. And then when you're looking at the recipe, like I use mostly milk, but I have a um, I have like a half a cup of heavy cream that I use because I found that little addition of heavy cream increases the richness without turning it into fudge. Yeah, that so that's fascinating. So you, and and to your point about different containers too. So your measurements changes based on the container that you put this on so it's just finding a balance yeah as well this is um stealing a story and butchering it to make it shorter because it's i don't want to tell the whole story right now <laughs> um uh ron told me this story about um I, I don't remember what cut of meat it was like the rump roast it's like the story of the grandma and the rump roast right we're like ah uh, yeah they always they always cut the end of the rump roast off and and yeah. the, and the, the child goes okay. They go to their parent. Why? Hey hey ma. Why why do you always cut that? And well I don't know. That's just what my mom always did. And they go to the they go to the grandma. Hey why why do you always cut the? Well, I don't know. That's what my grandma always did. And then they go to the great grandma and they're like, hey why did you always cut the end of the rump roast off before you made it? Ah because that's the size of my pan. Yeah or it couldn't fit in your oven. Couldn't or fit in like the that. oven right. Yeah. And so, like, I feel like sometimes that's a thing with recipes where you're like, you get like a batch and it's just a massive amount. Um, unless there's an ingredient that just forces like you want this much of it and it produces this huge batch. Most of the time, recipes are made from like whoever was doing that recipe. That's just how many people they had to feed. Like, that's it. Yeah, that that, that is that is true, man. That, that also goes to um, true in my side of the family where we had recipes that's been passed down through generations. And, you know, even my even my mom, you know, her being a chef, and um, she had certain ways to, to, to doing it. And, you know, I never you really got a chance to scale? ask. Oh, yeah, because whenever my mom cook this food, it's always like in a party. And, you know, uh, in my family, in the size of my family, there is a – you know, it's always this huge thing, like, um, so I can never gauge of, like, how do I make this in, like, where it feeds only four people, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because I'm not used to her cooking for four people. It's usually about, you know, 10, 15, 20 people at a time. And so trying to get, like, get, how, how do you divide that? I right. I learned something a while ago, Chris, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious if you do the same thing. I realized... If you habitually cannot cook the correct amount of food for people, I never want to be the person where like I have company over and I cook food for them and it's not enough food. And that's like one of those like American yeah. hospitality things. Um, I suppose not all Americans do that. So I don't know. It's familial hospitality thing. It's what I it's what I was yeah. taught. Like there should always be enough food to go around. And maybe that's because my parents being boomers, they enough to take they, home. <laughs> it was important because of like the great depression. I don't know. Maybe that's the thing, yeah. but the idea is you want to make sure there's always enough food. So if you're only two people, cause my wife and I, we don't have any kids mm, yeah. and I make a massive amount of food. People are like, what the heck are you doing? Well, there's this really great thing that started. It's called food prepping. So now when I screw up and I make way too much food, I'm just like, oh, no, I'm just doing food prep. And then you go from like somebody who's <laughs> incompetent to all of a sudden by labeling it differently. Now nah, I'm just somebody that plans ahead. Nice. Nice. You get the the the, the positive view behind that. Like my, my wife and I worry about that as our kids get older and eventually you know, they go on their own. And so we're going to have to adjust. How do you cook for two people? Right. Like we're mm -hmm. used to like cooking for the five of us. And when they get older, I'm like, I'm going to struggle because <laughs> how do you cook for two people? Like how yeah. do you grocery shop for two people? It's going to be an adjustments. And how do you prepare food prep? Well, you know, here's a here's an interesting question. 
you're going to do a pork shoulder or I don't know. What's your most, what, what do you normally, what's your cut you normally use when you're doing pulled pork? What's the cut? Uh, a p- pork shoulder. All right. And, or a pork butt. Pork butt. All yeah. right. Yeah. How, how big of a pork butt do you normally do? Oh, dude. It's I... so like four pounds. Yeah, probably close to five pounds. I would close say to an five average, yeah. pork butt. All right. Yeah. And and your family of does your five. dog eat with you? No, no, they they no, don't eat just, any of our it, all right. regular food. So it's just the five of you then. So all right, how long do you expect that to last? Is that just dinner? Does everybody eat uh, a pound? That, that's a good question. So typically, uh, when we do anytime we do a pork shoulder, um, and do pulled pork, it usually lasts us for the next dinner. So the next night, so we we would. So it's about a half pound over. per person for yeah. the two main meals, assuming someone's probably going to munch, you know, for lunch the next day maybe as well, right? Yeah. But like. Yeah. But roughly speaking, about a half pound. That's that's fair. So when you're sizing it out, here's the struggle: if you're one or two people, you can't buy a one pound pork shoulder. <laughs> exactly. Right. So it's, so can't. now you want to make your pork shoulder at home. What do you do? You either invite friends over or you accept that those two people are eating this five pound pork shoulder all week. Oh, and that, my yeah. friend, that's where food prep comes in. <laughs> Don't you used to, weren't you doing that? I remember you mentioned it to me uh, when you started smoking food. And yeah, and I remember you mentioned like, I have like a week worth of brisket. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's kind of the thing is I, I've started kind of changing how I season it when I'm smoking it to make the flavor I want it to be a good flavor, but I want it to be a flavor that I can use in multiple very different dishes. So it becomes an ingredient I've prepped that can go in multiple things. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I, I'm not really making taco meat anymore if I'm making tacos. I'm making a beef or a pork that could be used for tacos or a burrito or whatever I want to do there. But yeah. I could also put it on a sandwich. I could also put it over a risotto or I could, you know, stuff like that. And like yeah. you, you think of what are other things I can use this in where it'd be like a good compliment. If I'm doing a pork, um, I might do like some burnt end situation. And then there's a dish that I really like called okonomiyaki, which is a Japanese uh, breakfast pancake. It's gonna, it's cabbage, and you can put bean sprouts in it and that kind of stuff. And you'll mm-hmm. normally, it's very low amount of like egg and things, right? It's like two eggs for like this whole thing that'll make like six pancakes. So <laughs> you know, it's very vegetable heavy, which yeah. is great. Then you take that healthy vegetable thing and you fry it in a pan, and you cover it in Japanese mayonnaise and okonomiyaki sauce, which is like oyster sauce and soy sauce and can't remember all the ingredients of okonomiyaki sauce off the top of my head but something else that we make and that's cool well you normally top it with pork belly and if you don't have pork belly you use bacon well if i'm smoking some pork on the smoker i can do like burnt ends i can use that instead here on that dish and it's an awesome breakfast it's stinking great and but then i can also do that for dinner and be a completely different experience and I can just use it in different ways. And so I found I started doing food prep where instead of prepping meals, I'm prepping like bulk ingredients that I can use to make different meals. I think that's a good way to do it. So that's a great advice. And and I think that's what we're gonna do. Cause yeah, you're right, man. Like sometimes when you make a big amount of food, like brisket's a perfect example. You don't wanna eat brisket as it is you know, you want to make sure that you can make it different ways so that it's not, it doesn't feel repetitive. Um, I know it's first world problems and I'm sure it's like not everyone has that opportunity, uh, right? But but I like that idea. It's like prep, prepping what the week's going to look like and just using that meat as your main course or as your main recipe to what your meal is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you, do you have all these, uh, when you're doing meal preps, do you, do you like put them in a container for the meal prep? I mean, do you make them or are you just, are you, yeah. is that? I just I'm have about a some different. ton of plastic bags, my friend, just bags. No, I'm kidding. Like that would be <laughs> horrible environmentally. Uh, we do use plastic bags for a few things, but for the most part, uh, we use 
two different things for containers. Um, yeah. I have these glass snap-on uh, containers. By the way, to everybody, this week for our widget, we're talking about a lot of low-tech <laughs> things recently. Low-tech widget, reusable containers, my friends. Um, yes. Don't use the crappy Tupperware of your childhood. Those plastic things that you got to try and push in, you got to burp the lid. That stuff sucks. Yeah. yeah. So you're using glass? So no. I have a yeah, I have glass yeah. containers that have snap lids that snap around the edges, and um, I use that for all of my like large food prep. And then if it's smaller, I use like those plastic Chinese takeout containers. If you know what I'm talking about, they're like quart sized containers sometimes you get soup oh yeah in them. yes yes so they're reusable they're um they they're i don't remember the acronyms uh, ibpm or something i, for, I forget oh, the yeah. acronyms because i'm not BPM. that yeah they're that free um they are easily stackable so you can have a bunch of them in your pantry and so i use those for like sauces and certain like foods that are going to last for a long time. Yeah. Um, so between the glassware and this, it works perfectly. So anything I'm not going to reheat in the container, I'll go in there, right? If I'm going to yeah. reheat it in the container, like I might throw it in the oven to reheat it. That's where the glass containers are stinking awesome because it's got a plastic lid. It is microwave safe, but I can also be like, let me pop that lid off, throw the glass container in the oven, and then use the oven to heat it up, and you get a better texture. So that's cool. Yeah. So do, do you typically reheat food? Um, microwave, or if you can avoid it, do you use like your oven instead? It depends. I guess it depends on the food. Yeah, depends entirely on the food. So like, um, I was doing tacos this last week. Uh, I did I did some tacos, I did some burritos, and like it depends on what it is. Well, if I've got like leftover rice, I kind of want to stir fry the rice, or I'll want to put like a little bit of water in it, and maybe like re-steam the rice to heat it up, yeah. so yeah. that it gets a little bit softer. But if it's like peppers so i could i like making fajita peppers i don't need my fajita peppers to be crunchy i'll throw them yeah. in the microwave it works it's easy it's fast yeah no it's it's wonderful uh for the low-tech food prep you know i i do the same thing we typically try to use glass uh uh because i found that you know maybe it's a maybe it's a low quality plastics but it, it stains <laughs> so we use, you know, t try to use glass. Um, it's easy to throw it into the oven. It's easier to throw it into microwave. It's because it's already glass versus plastic, which I can't just throw it into, you know, uh, into the oven. But uh, good food preps, like a, I use, um, you, when you're prepping food do you, and you have too much food and it's not cooked yet, I also use um, uh, vacuum sealers uh, as well. So not cooked so raw foods if it's like a raw chicken as an example that's a great example of where i'll use just a plastic bag and then i'll, I'll throw it in the plastic bag and i'll put the plastic bag in my glass container mm. why mostly because i'm paranoid and i don't like having to clean the bottom of my fridge when chicken goo gets everywhere <laughs> um it's so gross so i will put my chicken in a plastic bag in that scenario um and then I'll throw the plastic bag away when I'm done. Um, yeah. But most of the time I'm using I'm using glass. Uh, particular brand? Like, what do you use the, in that space? Like, is there a particular thing where you're like, I tried this and it sucked. I tried this and it was good. Or just basically anything glass and it works. Uh, any anything glass. Uh, there's a specific brand that my wife got. It, it has like a red lid. I mean, most of them have red lids probably. But I can't remember the the name. But it works. I mean, we've had it for a while and. It's pretty solid. I mean, you can we use it even to do normal bake baking. Um, but so my wife and I do snapware, which is a, a glass. Oh, I think uh, that's what it is. With a plastic lid, and ours are like a blue green type color. I think snapware. Oh, yeah. Uh, I have one. Of has these. a few different colors. Yeah, this is exactly Un what we have. Unfortunately, <laughs> what I find is because I'm doing a lot of food prep stuff, when you get like that kit comes with a whole bunch of like the little ones yeah but i have these little glass containers from pampered chef that are like one or two cup like measured containers and they're yeah. perfect 
when you're doing like prep for like sliced onions or like that kind of stuff that we're like, you cut up a whole onion, but you really only need a half an onion or three quarters of an onion. What are you going to do with the rest of the onion? Well, I put them in these little containers. So I got all these snapware ones that are tiny that I just, I don't use them as much. Um, I went on Amazon to get a different like glass container because I'm like, I like these snapware, but I want one that's bigger because I couldn't fit like a six pound rump roast in it. And I'm like, if I'm marinating that rump roast, I don't want to use like a gallon bag with like saran wrap because it's like not fitting good. I want to have a plastic, I want to have a glass container I can marinate it in. Yeah, this is, this is exactly what I have. Um, it's the exact, exact, exact same one is snapware. Uh, and, and really quick, you talk about uh, uh, marinating. Um, do you, do you vacuum seal for marinating or you just put it, leave it in the glass or your container, food prep I container? think I'm pretty firmly at this point in the camp when I marinate where I basically just do a dry brine with salt. Uh, so I will, I'll take a, if it's a large piece of meat, I will salt it the way I want it to be salted, mm-hmm. put it in a glass container and I'll leave it for depending on the cut of meat a few hours to overnight and mm-hmm. possibly not the cut of meat it might be that i, I wait just because i'm lazy and i did it the day before who knows but uh the the important piece is you get a little bit of liquid that comes out of there so it'll drain off into the bottom of the pan or bottom of the glass yeah and then you've got this this nicely salted meat and then I do a, I'll season on top of that right before I cook it. So I'll make whatever rub I'm going to put on after that. That's yeah. primarily how I do it. And then if I'm feeling nice. ridiculous, I'll put the rub on and then I'll sprinkle MSG on top because who doesn't love some MSG? <laughs> we all do, right, Brad? Brad? You like MSG? Brad, Brad <laughs> MSG Brad. <laughs> Uh, oh, it's, it's so good. So the, seriously, like anybody that says you shouldn't eat MSG because it like causes cancer. I don't know, man. Maybe the cancer is worth it. For anybody that has cancer, I apologize. I didn't mean to be insensitive, but like MSG is delightful. Nor do I think uh, it actually causes cancer. So, yeah, man, um, here's the real question then. All right. You're prepping things. What do you do? I mentioned what I do. What do you do? If you're curious how we started a podcast you probably want to know how to start your very own. Well, I can tell you firsthand that starting a podcast is one of the best and fun decisions we've made. But it can feel overwhelming if you don't know how to get started. It certainly was for us as we don't know where to even begin. That's when Buzzsprout came in. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch your new podcast professional adventure. Start with some gear that you already have in a quiet space. They even help and guide you where to find the right equipment at the right price. In fact, it is so good, they've helped over 100,000 people launch their own podcast. Buzzsprout will help get your podcast into every major podcasting platform like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and more. You can find our very own podcast and all the major podcasting platform. Also, you get a great-looking podcast website, audio players where you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and on and on. Plus, Buzzsprouts publishes new blog posts, podcast episodes, and YouTube videos every week. So you can learn the ins and outs of podcasting from the people that eat, drink, and breathe it. To start your own podcast and get a $20 Amazon gift card, follow the link in the show notes. This lets Buzzsprout know that we sent you and help support our show. Buzzsprout, the easiest way to start a podcast. We don't really have a lot of leftover because, you know, again, five people um, buy uh, like pulled pork yesterday. By this evening, we're going to eat pulled pork, but we're going to probably going to eat it like with like a taco or burrito or something like that um but i do similar to what you do james i use those snapware to store food um uh or 
you know, prep food. So I separate the meat that's not being used or maybe leftovers and uh, we'll pull it out next time. And, and we, in this case, uh, an example in this case is the whole pork. I'll probably toss it back in the crock pot or not back into the crock pot because I smoked it, but uh, I'll, I'll probably put in a crock pot just to get it all moist, you know, maintain that moist and, 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 and heat it up and then, you know, serve it that way. Uh, but I do love this prep, man. We have a lot of those, like my bottom shelf in my kitchen, like everything at the bottom shelf is all snapware, um, uh, containers. And so our food are always, I don't label them anything, unfortunately, but, um, and that's what I use. Uh, so um, speaking of labeling, tech. I got a, like a glass marker. That's like a kind of silverish glass marker. So I can actually write on it and it like easily wipes off or like comes off in the dishwasher. So uh, I can label everything that's glass really easily. I'm using that for all my jars that I use for like simple syrups. Yeah. And it's a good habit to have actually when you're marking because we're, you know, me working in the, in the food industry in the past, like you have to put the date, but I don't do that on leftovers. I do that uh when i'm marinating or putting it in a vacuum seal then i will date it uh because there are times where i prepare food and it's like i don't need this whole thing um so i would cut it in half and you know wrap uh, vacuum wrap it and put a date and toss it back in the freezer um Fr frozen things i put a date on and mm -hmm. i will date things when it's like a sub ingredient ingredient of something else so like uh, I use fajita peppers for a lot of different things. I, I like to take a collection of spicy peppers and bell peppers and I slice them um, all in this about the same length strips. So like I'll slice a jalapeno the long way and then I'll slice my bell peppers and they'll have like this similar <laughs> texture and you get a nice pepper amount of pepper flesh without like completely destroying somebody with heat. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So I like to do that. Well, these peppers are awesome. You can put them on a sandwich. You can put them in a tortilla and, and you know, I, I could like take these with just like a little bit of cheese and maybe an egg as like a breakfast thing. Like there's a lot of stuff you can do with them. And omelet. it's something I like to do. Yeah, put them in an omelet. Yeah. But it's a kind of a sub ingredient. It's just not going to last forever. Right. So yeah, date on it. Yeah. So, so do, go ahead. do you have a do you have an extra fridge to store your food too? No. No. Uh, refrigerator? We have, no. We have one refrigerator. And Chris, did you know that refrigerators in like the UK are typically like under the counter refrigerators? Like they're below? like yeah, like below the counter. Like they're the size of an American dishwasher. Oh wow. So what refrigerator or freezer? Refrigerator. Like oh, refrigerator. all of their all of their food, like a lot of a lot of other countries, it's not common to have the massive like refrigeration space that we have in the United States. So yeah. we're all like, we're going to food prep and we're going to make <laughs> things. And it's like, we got refrigerators and freezers and other freezers and like backup freezers for our freezers. <laughs> and pe people in the EU, they're like listening to us and they're just like, I got 10 cubic feet. I'm sorry, it wouldn't be feet. It'd be... <laughs> <laughs> it'd be something else <laughs> whatever Cute. that is i got two but... cubic meters of of freezer space i don't know what do you what do you how do you measure that stuff someone on social how do media they measure, how do they measure that but yeah that means that they they won't do well when um apocalypse or zombie apocalypse come comes around right because you don't have enough food the store yeah, yeah but that's the thing <laughs> neither would we our extra refrigerator or freezer space like most of the time when people do that, it's like you're not like stopping up, stocking up for like a year. That's like an extra couple of weeks or something. And we, what, it's yeah. the weird thing because like a lot of the time it just means we're not getting as fresh or food is really what it is. We go to the store yeah. less, frequent, free, less frequently right. and then we buy more every time we go. But some people do it like I, I know on occasion we catch ourselves doing this like if you're grocery shopping, you're at Costco, you may not need it, but it was on sale. And I can mm. freeze this thing. <laughs> maybe yeah. I'll eat it. Um, maybe we'll just get it. Uh, it looks good. We could, you know, 
there's, there's days where like I don't know what to eat. Oh yeah, remember that we bought that thing like 30 days ago? Like let's eat that. So I like <laughs> having certain things in like frozen on hand, right? So I like having frozen broccoli because I'll I'll eat me some you know roast broccoli. That's that's wonderful. Right. It freezes really well, and it's a good vegetable to have on hand. And it doesn't mean I don't branch. want. It doesn't mean I don't want fresh broccoli. I just it's it's an easy one to freeze. Yeah. Um, frozen lettuce, bad idea. Just go get yourself yeah. some fresh lettuce. Yeah. So I mean, I think it kind of depends, and like what you use it for. Most for the most part, my freezer has ice, um, chilled glassware because. <laughs> According to my wife, I'm bougie as fuck. Um, <laughs> uh, we have like ice cream type things in there, and then we have um, proteins, so frozen meat. Um, yeah. Because we'll buy like chicken thighs, and I'll go, I'll just go get a bunch of chicken thighs. Well, I'm I'm not going to eat, you know, thirty chicken thighs. I'm going to eat two. And right. So we keep them frozen. Um, we'll we'll do lamb. And I'll buy a I'll buy a nice um, leg of lamb. Yeah. But I'm not going to cook that it. whole thing. I'm going to cook like half of it. Yeah. So. No, I, I, then yeah. I'm one of those people. I actually have a, a freezer. And, I mean, just because uh, of a big family, um, you know, uh, uh, and we we have a lot of people coming over from time to time, and and, and we host. Uh, but I am one of those people that have a a, a freezer in the garage, not the. Not the one that's like flat. It's just an old standing freezer. Um, sure. Uh, but so not a chest yeah, freezer. You're saying? Not a chest freezer. I think those are a little expensive. So I just like one of those stand up ones that I got for like three hundred dollars or less, and which is cheap considering how much freezers are. To be honest with you. Um, Dude, freezers are expensive. They were like not available during the pandemic. So many people decided to start freezing things because it's like. I mean, pros and cons. You got a pandemic. You're not supposed to go around a bunch of people. You got yeah. freezer space. You can go to the store less frequently. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm wondering what Brad has in his uh, uh, fridge. He probably has a bunch of pizza stuff. That's probably all he has. That's all he eats. Well, I mean, he's <laughs> not here to say. So for the, from now until the next time we record, it's it's on the record. Brad only eats frozen pizza. That's it. Um, so it was good with stuff. a fork and knife with a fork and knife you gotta he's a classy man okay fork and, and knife so here's a here's a fun thing we, we kind of skipped over this a little bit um and so right before we wrap up something you all don't get to hear us talk about very often chris have you finished your drink i did man it's like uh i i downed that thing fairly quickly <laughs> yeah so sometimes as we're talking We'll make ourselves a few different drinks, um, but other times, you know, you, you got to drive tonight. We're gonna we're gonna keep it back. So so drink responsibly to everybody listening. Um, but here's the question. I'll I'll close us up tonight, but I I want to end with this question to you, Chris. First. Yep. How was your Russell's Reserve? What'd you like about it? And and what would you advise to anybody that just wanted to go drink some Russells? Yeah, man. Uh, that's that's. Thanks for asking. I know we talked about drinks and considering that this podcast talks about whiskey, but uh, uh, Russell Reserve, I started seeing uh, people talking about it. And I'm not sure if that's true. Maybe it just, you know, Google AdWords told me to look at, <laughs> here's the post about Russell Reserves, because I looked them up the other day. Um, and so I just happen to have a Russell Reserve, and I think I've drank it once in this episode. And it's pretty smooth, um, it, it, smooth, a little spicy, a little bit of kick. For sure, um, but I am curious though if you're if you're listening to this podcast and you're into um, whiskey as much as we are, tell us how, what you use Russell Reserve for. Like, what kind of cocktails can you make using uh, Russell Reserve? Um, you know, sometimes people tell me, "Hey, use use um, Empress Gin on this," and I tried it, and it's like oh, it tastes like crap, you know, and and so, yeah, I, I would like to know what people use Russell Reserve for. Right now, I just straight, you know, drank it straight um, today. It was nice and chilled. I had, I left it in the refrigerator and uh, served it without ice and straight. So, it's good, man. You should yeah. check it out. 
Russell Russell Res Reserve. Um, we'll see if we can get Brad to to buy it. Uh, uh, he seems to be taking some of our advice and <laughs> some of these whiskeys. So, well, um, and that's it's all part of that fun journey, right? You got to be able to explore with the flavor, and you can see that the cocktail recipe is about the ingredients that you're putting in it. So, you know, not all whiskeys yeah. make the best of a specific type of drink. So, uh, yeah, definitely. I, I give everyone props for being willing to experiment. Go out there and try the thing that tastes good. And if it doesn't taste good, make yourself a new drink. So thanks for joining, everybody. And I just want to leave everyone with a single sentiment. Brad wasn't here with us today, and so there is some absence. But it doesn't mean we all have to be lonely. The most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. Mother Teresa. We love you, Brad. Yes, we do. Thanks, James. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care, everyone. Thanks, everyone.